0: And welcome back to Kyle's and Turner Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Babylon 5 Season 4 episode, Epiphanies. So, just real quick, I want to address, yes, I came back from a hiatus for like two two episodes and then had an invert hiatus again. That was completely unplanned, and I apologize greatly for that. Though, if you're watching in the future, you won't notice, because it just goes from one episode to the next, but... uh. I ran into some technical difficulties and uh, had to deal with that, and it took about a week to get everything fixed, and uh, once that got all fixed, um, hello future people, but this is the year 2021, we are entering our second year of a global pandemic, I got the plague, I got COVID, so uh, that was several weeks of excruciating uh, annoyance. But I'm all better now. I'm, I'm back in business. Let's get going. So, uh, Epiphanies is an interesting episode um, in the simple fact that it comes right after a big, momentous thing that is uh, into the fire, you know, the, with the, the end of the Shadow War. And um, it, it starts out with this big celebration, and we feel... Happy, but also there's this underlying sense of dread almost because there's we know there's more to come. Uh, even the characters are feeling that they 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 want to celebrate, they want to feel the reverie of the fact that they they kicked out these godlike beings, they're no longer gonna be controlled, blah blah blah. But even Sheridan's like, there's a lot. A lot more stuff to deal with here. Uh, this isn't this isn't over. Uh, and that's the glorious thing about Babylon 5, as I pointed out in the last one, is that it's constant asking of the question, what now? What happens after big momentous thing happens? Because if we look at a lot of other franchises, I, I think the, the 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 biggest franchise that comes to mind in pop culture or science fiction sort of uh pastime would be uh star wars look- look at that how it in the original trilogy, you have three three movies, the end of the third movie, you know episode six, they get rid of the emperor, they kill the emperor, but that doesn't mean the empire's gone, it's crumbling, yes, but it doesn't mean it's gone, but we act like. They won the war, blah, blah, no. That's not what's gonna happen. Uh, and uh, it, it feels rather anticlimactic. And I think here where they get to celebrate the brief victory that they have, but knowing that more shit's gonna come down the line, as it does in this episode, I, I think is a nice, nice inversion of genre tropes, especially in filmed science fiction not necessarily science fiction literature um so earth has decided to blockade b5 no public transports there's no no shipments or anything of the like going between earth and b5 uh this this is a brilliant tactic because as as pointed out by some of the you know the the, uh, the, the people behind the Clark administration is that they tried to take B5 by force back in season 3. Didn't work out. Lowered morale. Blah blah blah. Raised uh, Sheridan's sort of opinion in popularity. Uh, and so they need to handle this smarter, not harder in a way. So a battle of attrition economic warfare. Uh, So get rid of trade, get rid of tourism, all this sort of stuff. It's going to hurt B5 economically. Uh, And then their additional plan is because they know it's going to hurt them economically, they then, under a false flag maneuver, frame B5 for running the blockade. They, They... uh, they intentionally set up portions of their blockade to be attacked by their own vessels, but disguised it as B-5, uh, thus making them look absolutely like the bad guys that they were trying to break up this blockade, and they actively hurt, you know, and killed people to do it, uh, thus tarnishing their reputation. It's a very smart maneuver. um, And... Because they they cannot win straight out right now with B five, Clark knows that he needs to keep his opinion raised and lower Sheridan's. Uh, right now it is a battle of personalities, uh, so hurt them is, is you know through a battle of attrition, and then come in with force, pull as they say pull the pins out from underneath them, you know pull the rug out. And watch them fall. Very smart. Uh, And I like how Bester, uh, you know, comes into all this. He was assigned to deal with the situation. And so he signs his squadron, uh, you know, Black O'Masor's squadron, to go deal, go be the people that frame B5. But then, because B5 has Carolyn on board, and... He cares more about himself and his lover and the core than he does to Clark or Earth. That he is more than willing to backstab the thing that was, you know, all ultimately passed on to him. And he, he goes behind their back and goes to B5 and says, Hey, if you let me do this, if you help me out, I'll help you. Uh, as we saw last season, he was more than willing to deal with B5 if his needs suited him. I think this is what makes Bester one of the more fascinating villains in the series, and I've I've talked about this briefly before, is that he is still an evil scumbag, but he's got likable character traits. Um, You know, he is loyal to those who he loves. He truly cares for Carolyn. Uh, And he has no loyalty to Clark. Clark is a convenience for him more than anything else. And so that is the situation he finds himself in, trying to deal with B5. Uh, and that that ends up go, not going his way and not going his way all at the same time, which I'll get to in a minute. So let, let, let's talk about Garibaldi. Um... Resigning his position, I'll talk more about it in the spoiler section because I have a lot to say there. This this was the episode I was mentioning a few episodes back that I was gonna wait to talk about that stuff in the spoiler section. Um, the way he goes about resigning, we know something is influencing him from uh you know the weirdness of the you know drawing the face in the on the mirror uh and then. Uh, the weird transmission that echoes back to Talia's conditioning uh, as control. Stuff like this. But his reasoning for breaking away for not being security chief anymore is both a deflection of the reason, and, but also makes sense, even if it's not the real reason. You know, he talks about, we just fought a war. Uh, about personal freedom. About the ability to choose. To go your own way. And I want to make something. I want to, you know, own something of my own. Uh, create a business or something. Do do something different. Something new. Um, and if you won't allow me to do this, then what does that say about the war we just fought for the right to choose? Um, it's a... It's an interesting thing, uh, interesting stance for him to take, but also it's a deflection. Because what he, you know, Garibaldi is not one that mince words. You know, as stated before by Chikar back in season two, he never enters a conversation unless he knows what the other person is going to say. He rehearses the things and leaves room for people to disappoint him, but attempts to, uh, lead them in the way he wants it to go um and this will be picked up further in season five with an interesting conversation between him and a season five only character um but he when asked about the security chief thing he deflects with yeah i want to leave but these things basically Deflecting the true reason, whatever that true reason is, I'll get into the spoiler section. Uh, but he, you know, he is deflecting by. Uh, he, it's clear he's rehearsed this somewhat uh, in the fact that he is moving the conversation, move, moving the goalposts from why to oh, why are you leaving your security chief position to suddenly. I want to go my own way. That is... That is an answer, but it's only half an answer. It doesn't say why he doesn't want these duties anymore, or why he wants to leave his friends. It simply states what he wants to do... now. In a way. Uh, Personal feelings. It's a deflection, as I said. Uh, Now, the entire situation with Zaha Doom. So... Uh, they they go to Zaha Doom because uh, Baxter agreed to give them the plans about the frame uh, that Black Omega was going to do in exchange for taking him to Zaha Doom to get Shadow Technology and hopefully free Carolyn and the other uh, sort of weaponized telepaths that the Shadows uh, and Psychor had kind of created. And... Zahadum goes boom. Uh, what I like about this: first, we see several ships evacuating. and they they, they, they talk about how oh, it must be the servants of the shadows. We've known that the shadows had servants for a very long time. Uh, you know uh, the the uh, uh, that shadow warrior in like the Lone Dark back in season two. The creepy surgeons that operated on. Those weaponized telepaths, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So we do know that there were people working with the shadows. The shadows didn't accomplish everything just on their own. Uh, they 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 manipulate people into working for them. And so, from there, uh, there there's a hint of things to come, which I'll get to with the region in a minute. But what I love in particular about Zahadun going boom is that, A, it's a remnant of the old world. Uh, you know, the, uh, we'll talk about the on Homeworld home stuff next season. Uh, but also, the if this is a new age, you have to learn from the past but also kill the past, in a way. Uh, and... Lita's reasoning for triggering it it's, it's, it's quite obvious she's the one that triggered the destruction and Sheridan notices it and calls her out on it at the end of the episode it's quite an interesting kerfuffle because it's both a personal reason that she despises Bester and Bester personally pissed her off but also she was changed by the Vorlons. what if they left some programming in her ...to make her do that. Uh, this will be explored later. Um, and, and speaking of Lita... Like, ...look at the way the Vorlons... ...you know, the Vorlons treated her... ...that she had nothing of value... ...nothing of personal interest... ...in her quarters. All it was a was a bed. And even then, it was a... Uh, ...it was a concession... ...on the weakness of humans... ...that they have to sleep... Uh, And now that the Forlons are gone, people are avoiding her, and it's making her feel uneasy, and unwelcomed, and used. Uh, And it's because the Forlons, you know, even if they're gone, still scare people, and they know that she was close to them. But also, just, she can't find her place right now. Uh, That... You know, she goes out to the marketplace and buys all these knickknacks to fill out her room, personalized room, but she doesn't know where to put them. It's all this weird sense of, who am I? Which is ironic, because, uh, you know, the Vorlons' question is, who are you? Um, the Vorlons took who she was and destroyed it and we made it in their own image basically their own value what they saw could be used now she's having to pick up the pieces um and zach is such a sweetheart uh you know helping her out uh you know getting your pizza and stuff like that which is a thread we'll talk about later uh in uh coming episodes but um and speaking of Zach, I just want to uh, talk about a brief, uh, interesting parallel of in real life. That conversation Zach has the Garibaldi, where he he's talking about you know the, their life and uh, and Zach clearly feels uncomfortable with Garibaldi, you know, renouncing his chief of security position and notices that he's deflecting, but Gar- Garibaldi. Like mentions mentions when Zack first came on board, he gave him a chance, and everybody said that he wasn't uh, worthy of it, or, you know, every, that he was a problem child, all this stuff, but he took a chance because everybody is entitled to one very big, bad screw-up, uh, and that parallels real life with Jeff Conway, the actor who plays Zack and JMS, and um, So, uh, Jeff Conway was actually quite popular for a while, he was in Greece, a bunch of other movies, uh, he ended up having some difficulties with drugs, uh, and it kind of ruined his career, uh, and over time, you know, he got clean, uh, he, uh, tried to bring back his career, and he had to start all over, and when season two of b5 rolled around he auditioned for a very minor extra role that had a couple of lines by the name of zach allen and jms recognizing him said i'll give you a chance you know you prove you don't screw this up i'll give your character more to do and now zach allen's one of the main cast and i thought that was very sweet of jms and just echoes that conversation between uh, Zach and Garibaldi being real-life Jeff Conway and Jameis. And this is not the only time that that will happen. That will also happen again next season in a very interesting way. Uh, and then let's talk about the regent. So the regent is an interesting character. You know, Regent Farini, you know, he, j- he got appointed as regent now uh, and... He is kind of emblematic of a lot of problems with, uh, you know, the Centauri. He's the one that told that joke about, you know, what's worse than a roomful of Narns, a roomful of Narns in a key, uh, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, he's, he's kind of crazy and, uh, who can forget the line of pastels? But anyway, uh. He's kind of the perfect person to put a keeper on. A, he's small enough, and he's, uh, you know, he, he's kind of a pushover. Uh, he's decadent. He lets this entire lifestyle rule him. He's kind of bonkers already. He's let the power go to his head, and thus that makes him a pushover. Uh, and so putting a keeper on him, he's not going to act that much different than what he already is acting like. Um, very smart on the behalf of this unknown servant that we will get to in a few episodes. Um, now, spoiler section, uh, before I end out here, uh, is the Garibaldi situation. So, obviously, in, uh, uh, in all intents and purposes of spoilers, you know, Bester reprogrammed partially reprogrammed uh uh garibaldi he had situated parts of his personality so that that what makes the tragedy of the storyline so much worse is that garibaldi doesn't do anything out of the ordinary for himself it's just his own personality slightly turned up you know turned up to 11. uh everything he does is something that he would legitimately have thought to do uh but This is the issue right here. I have an issue with the way JMS, you know, sort of hints at the storyline. I think it's a brilliant storyline, and I think it's really well-executed. And we really feel uh, both contempt, anger, and sadness towards Garibaldi as the episodes go on. But back when uh, he was being reprogrammed, uh, we, we saw... Oh, uh, when when he got drugged and he went to sleep, we see a person walk in with a psychor emblem on um uh, and there then there's the the uh, the 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 transmission that echoes uh control uh with Talia and then uh then then of course Bester's monologue to Carolyn, which was a fantastic scene of its own as I mentioned it really provides the sense of that, that Bester, all well, evil, does have some sort of heart in him. Uh, but anyway, he, he says that I have an ace up my sleeve that will hurt them far more than they know. And there's a future episode that is going to uh, be- basically all but confirm this where Bester says, I push Garibaldi where I need him. That, I think, is an issue because I think if. There was hints that it was Psychor, maybe hints that it was Bester personally, but not outright stated. Like, I know some people who didn't pick up on it, that they knew it was some sort of Psycorps plot, but not that it was Bester personally, and so what happened in Face of the Enemy was a surprise to them when they first watched it, but as someone who is paying a lot of attention and who's seen this multiple times, it's very clear that Jameis is not really hiding the fact that Bester's behind it. And I think that's a shame. Because when Bester walks into the tram on Mars. And faces the enemy. And exposes to Garibaldi everything that was done to him. I think that scene hits far more impactful. Like it's already a very tragic impactful scene. And we'll talk about it when we get there. But I think it hits far more close to home. If we don't know... That he was Bester or much less the Psychor. We just know that Garibaldi's acting strange and all of a sudden, bam, here's Bester. I don't know. Uh, I'm not the professional writer here. I may have a degree, but it's just the way I would have done it. Through small hints, but not anything major. Like Bester in this episode and in a future episode. Basically all but confirming that everything going on with Garibaldi was him. Um And so that's all I really have for this episode. It's a really nice, tight episode that furthers a lot of plots, uh, gives us some conclusion to the past conflicts of the Shadow War, but also shows Babylon 5's insistence on asking the question, what now? Because it's going to get a whole lot messier from here, uh, and there's a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, the Shadow War wasn't the only thing going on. The shadows may be responsible for a lot of the, the stuff going down, but now that they're pre- now that they're gone, does not mean that the presence can't still be felt. But anyway, I'll see you next time. Till then, bye.